Hey, geeks and geekettes, Lysmith and Retinax5 here. Do you know all the ways you can geek out with Geekin? You can search for Geekin Podcast and Blog on iTunes and the Stitcher app. You can always visit the blog for direct podcast download, post to our forum, and talk on the on-site chat room. And as always, you can find Geekin Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And now, on with the show. Hey, geeks and geekettes, this is Lysmith. And I'm Retinax5, and you're listening to the Geekin Podcast. Welcome to Geekin' on A Long Time Ago in a Galaxian Far, Far Away. Recorded live on August 17th, 2014. Not a whole lot of news the last couple of weeks. Not a whole lot of stuff coming out of the geeky rumor mill. Not too much. I, I did a little bit of a search. I mean, my life's been crazy. We're in the middle of moving, so it's just been... I haven't had a lot of time to look online. Seems like right now the big obsession is... Uh, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus Guardians of the Galaxy at the box office. I mean, that's like the geeks, and I say that as a geek, so it's not derogative, are like just spewing anger and hatred at each other over which movie is making more money at the box office, and the typical Michael Bay hatred is coming out. But I will say this. I did see Guardians. We'll get to that later on. But then I went and saw Guardians the Friday night that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles opened up. I was shocked. We got there, and three of the showings were already sold out. There were kids dressed up, like kids, six, seven, eight-year-old kids, coming in to see the movies dressed up as the turtles. Wow. There was like 20, 25-year-old guys wearing just, you know, they weren't dressed up as turtles, but they were wearing turtles t-shirts. I uh, I don't know. I'm kind of surprised by the reaction. I, I knew that the I watched the Turtles, and you watched the Turtles. We discussed this on one of our previous podcasts. But I was kind of blown away by just how many Turtles fans there are. As we said in a previous podcast, the Turtles have kind of made a resurgence in the last couple of years uh, with their cartoon and stuff like that. And one thing I've noticed and that other people have said online is that uh, this movie is getting general. I mean, it's either... People hate it, or they're just like, eh. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very you know, true. But it's, yeah, it's still making money. Well, it is Michael so Bay. So where's all this money coming from? <laughs> I mean, it is Michael Bay. Anything he puts out makes makes money. I mean, everybody hates it, but there's an audience for it. When I left, it it, it wasn't at the same time that a, that a turtle screening was letting out, so I didn't get to sort of overhear what anyone thought on the way out. Um, but I have to agree with you, pretty much everything I've heard about the movie is sort of like, eh, it's a good summer action movie to, you know, they raped my childhood. You know, that sort yeah, of yeah. is the, there's no, man, this is the greatest Turtles thing ever. There's none of that. It's sort of like, right. Eh, it was fun to, it was horrible. One of the things that I read online was somebody had said that it didn't, it wasn't a uh, horrible Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie. But it wasn't a very good movie. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. So apparently, for for you know, Teenage Mutant Turtles, it wasn't like it it raped your childhood, but it wasn't a very good movie overall. Well, it's Michael Bay. I mean, you can't really expect great filmmaking. Just lots of lots of stuff blowing up real good. Though I will say this about Michael Bay: I've always insulted him. Well, let me take that back. I've always I've said that he's he's a fun filmmaker. His movies are at least fun. 
I think I made the comparison that Zack Snyder is a humorless Michael Bay at one point on one of our previous podcasts. But as much as I sort of said Michael Bay wasn't a great filmmaker, ironically enough, I think Michael Bay would have made an awesome Superman movie. I remember when I, his, I remember when his name was being tossed about back in about 2004, 2005. Uh, it was shortly after Pearl Harbor came out, and I was thinking, you know what? He could make a real red, white, and blue Superman movie with a lot of action scenes and the world having to be saved by Superman with the help of the U.S. Army, of course, because the U.S. Army always helps in Michael Bay's films. It okay. gets worked in somehow. I don't know. I haven't, I, I, as for Turtles, I'll see it, but I'm just not really – it's not something I feel like I need to run out and see. But obviously, it's making money. I mean, it's over $125 million already. Did you hear about uh, Megan Fox commenting on the Ninja Turtle hate? Something about the, the fans need to like fuck off or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She said that, that everybody who hates on this movie without seeing it can just fuck off. That's how you win over the hearts and minds of the fans right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I can't criticize that. I think uh, I've said some harsh things towards Zack Snyder and people on those lines. But really, I thought actors are supposed to try to sell the movie, uh, make people want to come see it. I don't know. She's not paid for her opinions. You know, I'm, I'm just glad she gave me, finally gave me the permission. I mean, I've been holding my fuck in this whole time. Now I can finally fuck off. <laughs> you really need to tweet her a thank you from, uh, from the Geek and Podcast tw- Twitter. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was so literally fucking constipated. Now I'm able to let my fuck out. <laughs> Uh, laxative of film actresses. Oh, I like that. I like that. That needs to be the uh, subtitle of one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles posters. <laughs> oh, we don't want to know what the secret of the ooze is then. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> well, since there's not any huge story, though, there are a couple of things I did hear we can touch on for a few seconds. Um, I heard something that uh, Ben Affleck apparently injured himself again on the set of Batman versus Superman. Uh, they don't think it's too serious, but we do need to mention Batman versus Superman in every single podcast, so I thought I'd mention that. <laughs> There's some talk about Doctor Strange apparently not being an origin story, which uh, – there's some rumors somebody saw the script that was recently rewritten and mentioned what I thought was kind of interesting, that apparently there's, they've had this Doctor Strange script written for years. They've been wanting really? this movie made. But now that Scott Derrickson, I believe is his name, um, has taken it over, they've decided to change the script. And one of the changes that they've made, apparently, is that it's not an origin story. It's It's set as if he's already there, he's already Doctor Strange. Which, on the article that I read, the, the, the writer of the article seemed kind of confused. Like, well, that's unusual. I mean, it's not like he's Superman or Batman, some character where you really don't need to hear the origin story again. Um, they're like, if anybody needs to have their origin story told, Doctor Strange is a pretty good one because he's not really well known amongst you know, the, the audience in general. 
Right. But I sat there and I've thought about it for a second. And wasn't there a recent film? It might have been Avengers. I'm not sure where they name dropped Stephen Strange. Um, it was. Was it Iron Man three? No, I want to see it was earlier than that. I, I think it was a Hulk. Might have been a Hulk. Oh, I don't remember now. They were in a hospital, and they paged him over the loudspeaker. Oh, no, I'm thinking of something else, where it was actually a line from – it might have been on an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., actually, um, where he was just sort of mentioned in the background, where they were sort of throwing around a couple names similar to, like, Cap or what have you, and they mentioned Stephen Strange. And the way they mentioned him was as if he was already known by S.H.I.E.L.D., which made me think, well, that makes sense why they can't do an origin story if he's already been name-dropped on an episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. or the Avengers. It was a S.H.I.E.L.D.-based scenario, so it may have been either the show or the Avengers. But it was just one line of dialogue, and it was as if he was already known by S.H.I.E.L.D., that they were already interacting with him. And so that made me think, well, of course it can't be an origin story because Marvel is trying to keep this tight continuity. So if they've already had him mentioned in an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever it was, just just name-dropped, then in the current Marvel Universe, he's already out there. We just haven't seen him yet. So it wouldn't make sense for them to do an origin story. But it's that's going to be weird. I mean, you're more of a Marvel guy than I am when it comes to the comic books. Can you just sort of make a film where Doctor Strange is Doctor Strange without really explaining the background? It was Captain America 2. Oh, is that what it was? Um... I knew it was a S.H.I.E.L.D.-based program, whether it was the – I didn't know if it was the series or Avengers. Captain America 2 is very S.H.I.E.L.D.-based as well. But it was just one – This says, when Agent Sitwell is being given a brief rooftop interrogation by Cap, Falcon, and Widow, he reveals Hydra's plan to target and eliminate all men and women who could one day pose a threat to the organization. Among the likes of Tony Stark and Bruce Banner, Sitwell also refers to Stephen Strange. Exactly. So that's a mention of him already having his powers and being monitored. By the way, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Captain America 2. No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Or watched uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which spoiled it anyways. But yeah, from from that point of view, I guess you kind of would have to sort of have the film be set in the now where he's already out there. But can they do that? I mean – Guardians of the Galaxy, which we're going to mention, or at least I'm going to mention, uh, and a little bit down the road, um, sort of introduced Marvel Cosmic. I have a feeling Doctor Strange is what they're using to introduce sort of the supernatural element of Marvel. That seems like it would need some some real explanation. Can you? It really can, does. Can you imagine a scenario or entertain a scenario where they can just sort of, hey, he's out there already, and he's not a typical superhero. So I just want your opinion on that, since you're more of the expert than I am. If they tone down who the character is a lot and try to streamline a lot of his stuff, then I think they could. I mean, he's um, used to be a surgeon who practices magic. So if they strip away the specifics to his backstory and, and where he got his magic from and the, the uh, uh, let's just say it, the silly names mm. – and stuff that he says when he does his magic. If they strip that away and, and make it more 
I don't want to say Constantine, but uh, that direction, mm-hmm. then sure. You can just sort of hit the ground running with the character. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's sort of our comic book news for the week. <laughs> I, or at least uh, – I, I just read that earlier today, and I wanted to ask your opinion on it because it seems yeah. – A, it seems strange, but the more you thought, I thought about it, I was like, well, they've already name-dropped him, so he's out there. So that explains why they can't do a or- traditional origin film. Yeah, they could at least you know catch you up at the beginning you know, while they introduce the character. They don't have to actually do an origin story, but – Okay, but okay. Enough with the comic book talk. We love comic books, but this episode is sort of about two. It's a combination of two sort of space operas, if you will, that we're going to discuss. Uh, yes, we will be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy down the road. I mean, later in the episode, but we wanted to do sort of a catch-all Star Wars podcast. I'm a huge Star Wars fan, uh, and we haven't really had that one big Star Wars podcast yet. And this seemed like a good time to do it because I hate to say there's been a lot of news because it's really more rumors. J.J. Abrams has done a good job doing what J.J. Abrams generally does, which is keep a lid on his stories, on the films he's making. But this past week or so, it's like somebody threw a hand grenade in there and it exploded. There's Suddenly there's images and there's photographs and there's just tons of stuff coming out. And I thought we'd talk a little bit about that and then also just sort of segue into just some general Star Wars topics, some general Star Wars news. Uh, have you been keeping up with the uh, the shoot of Star Wars Episode Seven? Uh, not terribly. I've seen little bits and pieces here. I saw a snapshot of Mark Hamill with his beard. His Obi-Wan beard. Yeah. He looks good, by the way, with the beard. He does. He uh, mentioned in an interview that he, he hated it, that he, I believe he referred to it as his contractually obligated beard. <laughs> but I actually think it, he looks pretty good with it. Yeah. You should consider keeping it. I guess he always, I mean, you've never really seen him with a beard, have you? Or facial hair at all, for that matter. He's normally clean shaven. Not really. Yeah, that's true. I was sort of, I mean, I, I was curious when I heard that they were talking about him having a beard. Uh, because they're sort of, I guess he's kind of the Obi-Wan, so to speak, of this film. Um, and I was thinking back to, he had a, a, a pretty bad car accident back in the late 70s. Uh, and if you look at between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, you can see he looks a little different. Uh, right. He was sort of, I believe his, his face hit the, the steering wheel of a car he was driving and broke a lot of bones and he had to have a lot of surgery on his face and it just sort of changed the shape a little bit. And so I hate to say it, but that was the first thing I thought of was, but maybe the reason I've never seen him with a beard or anything like that is maybe it doesn't really grow properly because of sort of the stitching and the tucking, you know, you know, he's one of the, he, you know, everybody in Hollywood has had a little nipping and tucking done, but he's done it for important reasons. You know, he did it for, right, right. you know, actually reconstructive reasons. Uh, but so I was, I've been curious to see this beard because of that, but I gotta tell you, it looks good. It really, it, it gives him a nice distinguished look. He looks good. He's dropped probably about 30 or 40 pounds Yeah. for this movie. I, I remember reading something that he get, they put a, they, uh, sent him a trainer or something to try and get him into a little bit better shape because he's had a, a bad case of, um, voice actor body. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, where it's sort of like, hey, my job is to sit on a stool and talk into a microphone. <laughs> I'm going to have a couple sandwiches while I'm doing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of job. Exactly. Yeah, hey, mine too. 
but yeah, he looks great. The photo looks great. Um, so yeah, so I I love the uh, the first photo that came out that cast reading photo with all of them sitting oh, around. Yeah. That was that's the first thing that really got my juices flowing. I mean, just seeing those actors uh, together and the, seeing the new folks. I'm not as familiar with the new new folks, um, and we're kind of kind of step around this topic a little bit because I haven't been avoiding spoilers in the way of sort of covering my ears and screaming and running to the hills whenever anyone mentions Star Wars. You know, there's those people who are like, I want to be spoiler free. I haven't done that, but I also haven't really searched anything out. Right. So I've read a few articles that have come across my way, but I haven't dug into it. So I'm not as familiar with the younger actors that are involved. But there is one younger actor involved that was mentioned this week, possibly mentioned this week. Well, let me rephrase that. Was mentioned this week, but it's part of a rumor, so it may or may not be true. And that is Carrie Fisher's daughter being in the film. Did you hear about this? Very vaguely. I think I saw a headline about it. Uh, she has a daughter. Um, I'm not quite sure of her name. Give me one second here. Uh, Billy Lord is her name, and she does ha- she does resemble her mother, and apparently she's been added to the cast list. It's sort of like a, you know, you got these people out there who are like private detectives when it comes to figuring things out. They're they're looking at right. all the, the contracts, the minutia, the stuff that gets released, and apparently her name is on something, which makes which lends has these people thinking that she's in the film in some small role. And it's led this theory that there's going to be a flashback scene in which we're going to see the character of Princess Leia as a young character, like an 18, 19 year old character, about the age she was supposed to be in, in the original film, A New Hope. And her, her real life daughter will be playing that role. Uh, I think that's really interesting. I mean, I love it's It's just JJ Abrams playing in the sandbox. Yeah. Uh, it makes sense. I I think it's a good idea, sure. Um, but there was a lot of stuff that came out. One of the first things that came out was an actual photo of the Stormtroopers' new look. Have you seen this? Uh, yes, very briefly I saw it. Uh, what did you think of it? Unnecessary. Really? I mean, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I just thought it was unnecessary. Uh, it's brought up a couple of interesting topics on the, the talkbacks about it. I mean, one... It's a subtle change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, suddenly, the stormtrooper eyes look more look more like a sun more like sunglasses. To be honest with you, looks yeah. like they're wearing a pair of Ray Bans. Uh, and they've sort of streamlined sort of the breathing apparatus a little bit more. I thought it made it look a little cartoony. Yeah, you know, I think I kind of agree with you on that. I didn't hate it, but I'm gonna go with you. I think it's a little unnecessary. But it has raised one interesting point when everybody's trying to figure out the plot of this. And I think this is where, again, I think you're going to be – you're the expert I'm turning to because you've read some of the books, the Expanded mm-hmm. Universe stuff. And people are drawing from the Expanded Universe even though Disney and Lucasfilm have said that the Expanded Universe is not really – you know, that's been shoved aside. They're, they want to free up the filmmakers to go in their own direction. But some people are saying, wait a minute, if this is 30 years later and the Empire has basically been defeated, where did they get the funds to redesign all of these helmets? Shouldn't they be sort of the ragtag, uh, you know, 
people that the rebels were in the original trilogy. You know, sort of the original trilogy, the rebels sort of had that used future look, which I believe is how, how George Lucas referred to, it, where everything looked kind of used and beat up. Mm-hmm. Um, the Empire was shiny and new. Uh, everyone I've been reading on the boards has been saying it should be reversed now that the Empire are the ones who are, you know, been knocked on their heels and stuff. So why are they, um, you know, suddenly redesigning things? So it's led me to wonder, and I want to ask you about this as somebody who's read the expanded universe and then just going into it sort of blind in the way that I am. Is there any scenario you can think of after the end of Return of the Jedi where the Empire is just as strong as they were before? Well, let's look at the way that ended and what actually happened there. Okay. okay. In the movie, what we saw, what happened. Uh, are you talking about the original version or the George yeah. Lucas specialized version? No, no, no the <laughs> original. Okay, in the original, we saw the Death Star being blown up. Death, uh-huh. Death Star Volume 2. Right. Being uh, destroyed. Uh, a bit of a fleet, not much of a fleet, being, a bit of a fleet being knocked about. Uh, the Emperor being killed and Vader being killed. Yes. And that's pretty much it. Now in George Lucas's specialized versions though, the, we then cut to an extended sequence of various planets around the galaxy, sort of toppling statues and, and to sort of lead you to believe that the empire had crumbled. The, uh, it was a galactic empire. Yeah. It's, it spanned numerous star systems, right? Mm-hmm. So getting rid of a, let's say, a medium-sized fleet, mm, I agree the with that. Death Star 2.0 and the Empire, or the Emperor, did not get rid of the entire Empire. You still had all of these fleets all over the galaxy. So what actually happened was you took out their central leadership mm-hmm. and a, a, their biggest weapon and a small portion of... Of their fleet, and that's it. So where the expanded universe novels pick up, you've got, um, yes, the Empire isn't as powerful as it used to be, and they don't have uh, as, as long of a reach as they used to, and people are fighting back a lot more. But And, and you find out that the Emperor was actually in a lot more control than you realized, that he was keeping almost like a hive mind kind of thing going on so that everything ran like a machine. Mm-hmm. And without him, that's not running so smoothly anymore. And you've got the, uh, egos acting out a little more and people running their own agendas a little more, but they're still the empire and they're still out there and they still have control of certain areas. So they remastered version made it seem like the empire was completely overthrown, mm-hmm. but in the extended universe, it wasn't. You've, they've still got control of a lot. They're still in power. They're still a, an issue and a force that has to be dealt with throughout the book, the, at least the beginning of the books. So what you're saying is that in some ways this is almost like it is drawing a little bit from the expanded universe. It could be, and I think it would make sense. I mean, if you look at the original versions and you think about what the Empire was and, and how massive it was, and you actually look at what we saw. I mean, when you start talking about a galactic empire, what we actually saw was a very small amount mm-hmm. of what was actually out there. And and you had the emperor who was controlling things, but then you had all of the generals 
and all of the, the guys controlling their own um, Star Destroyers and Super Star Destroyers. And so, I mean, we wish we're like the size of small moons and <laughs> themselves. So I really think that, that it would make sense if they made it so that the Empire was at least not completely gone, that you still had some remnant of, of the old Empire around. I like that idea. I do like that idea because you're right. Um, just taking out the authority figure at, at the top and a couple of bases essentially is not going to topple a galactic empire. Mike, but it has been 30 years though. Right. So that's, right. that's where I'm wondering, like, is, has this been a stalemate for 30 years? How exactly is this? How can you have a 30-year – I mean, history has shown us we've had a 100-year war between the British and the French, but a 30-year war, I mean, it just makes you wonder – I'm just – I just now I kind of want to know how they're going to do this because I had not thought of the Empire as being the big, big bad guys in this series, in, in this film. I, I thought there would be something new, some new mystery. Well, the picture that we saw of the new stormtroopers, it was like, what, half a dozen, a dozen mm -hmm. stormtroopers? Yeah. Uh, so this could be uh, um, just a very small portion of what we're going to get to see. Or in, in uh, like a, the first 10 minutes where they're catching us up over the last 30 years, what happened kind of thing. I don't think we can draw too many conclusions from six newly redesigned stormtroopers. That's true. Um, but I just I just had an idea, actually. Um, there have been a lot of um, art uh, – yeah, please edit this out until I talk here. But it did give me an idea, a very interesting idea. Um, one of the other news stories that has come out um, – I believe this one is from Badass Digest, but I'm not sure about that. Uh, they claim to have seen some parts of the script, and they talk about when we see Han Solo that he's flying a ship, but it's not the Millennium Falcon. That, in fact, that's been out for a little bit, uh, the script that supposedly somebody saw about a month, month and a half ago. That was one of the things I said. Uh, he's flying a ship, but it's not the Millennium Falcon, and it's not what you'd expect it to see. One of the websites when came out uh, – or one of the websites recently came out with uh, uh, furthering that concept. There were some drawings of basically costume designs for Han Solo. That somebody got some photos of. Uh, I believe it. I believe it was IndieRevolver.com, and the only reason I know that is because they watermarked those pictures like crazy. So much so you could barely see the concept art over the IndieRevolver.com watermark. How funny! Um, and basically, one it's it's nothing really that huge in the sense it just sort of looks like Han Solo's clothing, you know, just with a they drew Harrison Ford a little older. It's just it's artwork. It's you know it's, it's just a costume design. Right. Um, but somebody pointed out these geeks. I mean, and I say that with love. Uh, said that if you look at a piece of jewelry that's on the costume shoulder, um, it's a rank insignia, and it's a rank insignia from the Empire. And one of the people who says they saw that script said, yes, that answers the question of the ship that, Her that Han Solo is flying at the beginning that's not the Millennium Falcon. It's a Star Destroyer, that he's the captain of a Star Destroyer. Could it, If that's true and all of this stuff is rumor and who knows, could it be that the Rebels are actually 
apprehending and using Imperial hardware, and perhaps that means also Stormtrooper uniforms. I, I like this idea, and, and I don't think you could be wrong, but if that's what they were doing, why would they use the Imperial symbols? Yeah, that's that that does make me think that there's maybe there's something else. Maybe they're undercover in the right. remnants of the Empire, and that's why Han Solo's dressed that way. Yeah, again, if that's true, who knows if this person who claims to have read the script is even Han Solo is the villain. Oh, that well, that sort of fits Harrison Ford lately. He, <laughs> you've read some stuff about Harrison Ford. He's he's a bit of a cranky old man. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. See, that's the way this is going to work out. See, in the last thirty years, Leia's he went on some mission. Leia's pissed him off. Luke got Chewie killed. <laughs> and Han went evil. He went rogue. He literally go. He he warned them. He goes to the highest bidder. And the Empire has paid him more money. Yeah. I like this idea. See? Darth Solo. That's what we're coming on. says, um, yeah, actually, I'm going to read the quote right here. Uh, it says that, meanwhile, Badass is reporting a certain story details surrounding Solo. The source says that not only does he hold a lightsaber again, and he held one very briefly in Empire Strikes Back when he chopped up the Tauntaun to stick Luke inside. Right, right, right. But that he's no longer the captain of the Millennium Falcon. Uh, the Millennium Falcon is being somebody else has the ship. Uh, and that he and Chewbacca are riding around in a super star destroyer. Uh, the person who claims to have read the script at Badass also says that Star Wars fans will be treated to other familiar vehicles, including variations of the TIE Fighters. And we do know that we've seen the X-Wing. J.J. Uh, Abrams has been releasing little videos for the Force for Change charity that he and Lucasfilm right, right. have been doing. And uh, he does these wonderful little, you know, just things to look at in the background. And in one of the videos, he's standing in front of an X-Wing. It's a, it's a design, newly designed X-Wing, uh, but it it's, a, it's an X-Wing. So, yeah, that's a, it's just an interesting twist. I mean, the Empire is still there, or are they? What's going on with who's using the hardware? Uh, are, is the film really going to be, you know, 30 years later and we're still fighting the Empire? <laughs> Just something that's kind of, I thought was interesting. And uh, I wanted to ask you, as somebody who's dug into the expanded universe, how many years ahead have they sort of moved? Now? Um, I mean, in the beginning, it was, uh, I don't, I don't want to, it wasn't 30, I don't think. It was a few, but not not that many. But now, I mean, because their their kids are grown. Oh wow! So probably so, close to thirty years, somewhere in that area. Right, yeah, yeah. Now they're probably close to around. Yeah. And and it, is the empire still the 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 nemesis, or is there something, or have the writers of the expanded universe universe brought something else in there? I haven't read the newer ones, but in the beginning, uh, they were. Yeah, that was the. The main bad guy was still the Empire. I mean, you had other issues for sure, but uh, the main problem was the Empire. Hmm. Well, one of the things that also came out, and again, this may be rumor, this may not be rumor, is that the villains of this new film may be the Inquisitor, which is a character that I'm not familiar with, but apparently he's on the new Star Wars animated series. That's coming out, Star Wars Rebels. Uh-huh. 
that the Inquisitor is going to be revealed to be uh, the villain. Apparently, my understanding of it is not in. I'm, I know nothing about the cartoon. I saw a commercial for the cartoon a month ago, and my first thought was, "Yeah, this isn't for me." It, right. <laughs> it was. This is aimed at younger people. It's Star Wars kids talking the modern day kid lingo, so to speak. It's a little bit too 14 year old for me. Um, so I, I know nothing about the Inquisitors in this, in that show or what they're supposed to be in that show. Um, the rumor that I read regarding episode seven is that the Inquisitors are some sort of a, like almost a religious group that's sort of uh, protectors of the Sith, if you will. And that there's supposed to be some tie in to Darth Vader. So much so that Darth Vader is going to appear in episode seven, I'm assuming in a flashback. To sort of show that he was involved in the creation of this uh, this coven, if you will, of uh, protectors of the Sith, and that these are going to be the bad guys, and that essentially Disney is using the Star Wars Rebels animated series to sort of seed in the background of who the bad guys will be in the movie. Now that could just be a bunch of fan wank. Who are, right. who are just looking at the Star Wars Rebels TV series and saying, hey, this goes into that. But I was just wondering, have you heard of the Inquisitor, or is that just from the Rebels uh, series? Is this something from the Expanded Universe, or is this something that I've missed because I really only know the movies? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I think it's just for the, the cartoon. Um, it says, here we go. This is from ScreenRant.com. Uh, they said the most plausible Episode 7 storyline that has been reported so far has the film's young protagonist undertaking a journey to find Jedi Master Luke Skywalker, who has been missing for many years by the time the movie begins. Basically, what I'm reading here is just sort of a compilation of all the rumors that have been coming out of various websites. And they're sort right. of combining them into what, if they've been hearing, this seems to be the plot. Uh, Latino Review, which, believe it or not, has been a pretty good source. They've they spoiled a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. is claiming to have insider knowledge of what happens when Ridley uh, – it's going to be Daisy Ridley and John Boyega, the two younger actors, uh, catch up with the older Luke. This is maybe spoilers, maybe not, folks. So just go in with what you want. Luke reveals to the two young protagonists that the Inquisitors, who are indeed hunting, actively hunting down any Jedi Masters or Jedi in training when Episode 7 takes place, are very much connected to the Sith. This prompts a flashback showing Darth Vader recruiting the very first Inquisitor. This could also be the sequence that incorporates the young Princess Leia, being played by Billy Lord. At some point, uh, Boyega's former boss, commanding officer, who's played by Gwendolyn Christie, by the way, who is in the movie. Uh, she's from uh, Game of Thrones. Right, right. She's Brienne. Uh, catches up with the young heroes and reveals her own connection to the Force, possibly being a member of the Inquisitor organization, whose ranks may also include the characters played by Lupita Nyong'o and Adam Driver. So that may or may not be the plot, but it does seem to be basically you know, explaining that where Star Wars Rebels is coming in, because there were some comments made very early on that this Star Wars Rebels is going to be the start of the new continuity, the new post not really post, because I believe it takes place between the two trilogies. It takes place between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. But I think what it is, is a lot of people are looking at the way Disney has handled Marvel. 
where they have this very tight continuity where things have led into one another, and they're trying to project that on what Disney is now doing with Lucasfilm. I'm not sure that's a really good. I think it might be an apples-oranges comparison because my understanding is Marvel has always just been Marvel. Disney supplies the money, but they have their own brain trust. Right. You know, Disney really doesn't make a lot of decisions on that. Disney is making decisions here because the, the brain trust for Star Wars is now retired after getting paid $4 billion to sell, right. sell Star Wars to them. You know, George Lucas is busy, you know, building museums and stuff like that. So Disney actually is running the show on that. I don't know. I, do you really think that's – A, do you think that that actually is the plot or is this just fan wank of fans just taking a lot of stuff like the Star Wars Rebels, uh, you know, the little things they've heard about, well, this actor looks like this actor. Do you really think that the script is out there do you, or do you think this is all just fan wank? I think it's fan wink. I think um, – I mean it's not impossible to make the connection that the Rebels TV show will have something to do with the movie. That just makes sense. I mean if you look at other stuff that – not necessarily Disney itself, but look at Marvel. When they start coming out with a uh, uh, movie, they'll push a cartoon. That's very true. I mean um, you had Avengers and you had at least one, maybe two Avengers cartoons come out during around the time the movie is released and then you've got Guardians of the Galaxy and they announced a Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon so for them to announce a Star Wars cartoon that doesn't have anything to do with the movies about to come out uh, seems a little awkward to me so I, I think that that is definitely uh, definitely a possibility that there will be a connection between the two whether or not this Inquisitor guy uh, is the villain or not who knows? I mean, I, I don't. I don't see anything pointing to that. And if they are drawn from the expanded universe at all, when it starts, Luke has rebuilt the the Jedi and has trained the new ones. Mm-hmm. So there isn't like it's not like they're all being hunted down and they're worried about it anymore because you've got a whole shit ton of new ones. So. Yeah, that was one of the. That's one of the things I was wondering about. Was you look at the prequel trilogies? There's Jedi's all over the place. I mean, there's Jedi's yeah. literally bouncing off the walls in some of the sequences. <clears throat> the original, in the original trilogy, Jedi's were rare. They were like unicorns. I mean, you right. never saw them. And I know I've read enough of the expanded trilogy. I read, I read the first several couple of series that they put out there, and I knew that Luke was looking for new. You know, he started a Jedi Academy. I believe there was a Jedi Academy miniseries. Um, so he was getting Jedi out there. So yeah, there, I, I, it, it makes more sense in that regard. But part of me wonders, well, this gets into the prequel trilogy and the midi-chlorians and all that sort of stuff. But part of me always liked the idea that the Jedi were rare in the original trilogy. Yeah, I do think that they can be overused. I mean, yeah, they're really cool, and you want to see them do some awesome stuff. And that's the one thing I enjoyed about the prequels, was you got to see some killer Jedi fight scenes. Mm-hmm. But, they, I mean, too much, and they lose their cool factor, right? Yeah. Uh, one last sort of Star Wars story, and it's, again, this is, this is a rumor. 
In fact, it's a rumor that may have been – that it kind of was debunked by people who sort of looked at the legal aspect of it. But I thought it might be an interesting talking point. There was a lot of rumors coming out about a week ago that they were going to re-release – or really it would just be an actual release – of the original trilogy on Blu-ray. And I'm talking the real original trilogy, not the remastered, not the special edition, not the added stuff. There were some rumors going about it. It started from one person who worked at sort of a tech department. But some people looked at the, the legal codes, the agreements between Disney, 20th Century Fox, Lucasfilm, and uh, basically said that's not really possible. My understanding of it is that Disney is going to get the rights to Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi in like four or five years, something like 2020. But they're never going to get the rights to the first Star Wars film. That will always be owned by 20th Century Fox. So for there to be any sort of a release of a, of a set, basically there'd have to be an agreement between Disney and Fox. And Disney and Fox can't get together over Marvel. I don't think they're going to get together over Star Wars. But it got me thinking, do you think that – again, this could be its own topic. What are your feelings about the special editions? And or, hate, or or and what do you think about their not the original versions not being available in high definition? I believe there was a remastering when I was a kid where they like upped the special effects a little bit, mm-hmm. like they made the the engine on the uh, Millennium Falcon glow a little brighter, and you know little stuff like that, which I was fine with. Okay, well, whatever. But when they actually went through and changed things, like Greedo shooting first, of course, yeah. And when they added Hayden Christensen at the end. <laughs> it's like, what, oh are you doing? what are you doing there? Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. And then and there was stuff like um, they changed Boba Fett's voice to match oh, Jango the, Fett's voice. Yeah, the actor from the prequels, yeah. Which infuriated me because I got to meet the gentleman who did the voice for uh, – Boba Fett originally, and he's a great, really cool down-to-earth guy, and for them to cut him out yeah. like that, I thought was terribly insulting. Yeah. So, I'm not a fan. I don't think it's necessary. I think it was just to make people buy more DVDs, which fucking worked, because people bought that shit at the wazoo. So, when you look at them re-releasing the original stuff, I think it would be stupid for them not to. I mean, people hated those remastered so much, and it's hard to find the originals now. So if anything could make Disney and Fox come to terms and and agree on anything, it would be money. Mm -hmm. And I think that these would sell, especially if you do it like right before the next movie hits and release that. Oh, you wouldn't be able to keep it in stock. I agree. I still don't think it's going to happen. And the reason I don't think it's going to happen is moving to Chicago right now, George Lucas. My understanding is he's still sort of the spiritual godfather of this. And in his eyes, that's the remastered versions, the special editions. That's canon. That's real Star Wars. I think as long as he's uh, walking around, I, I just don't think they're going to be able to do it. 
I mean, I'd be very curious to actually look at the contract. Again, I don't have the contract on file right now. I believe it's packed up in the garage with all the rest of my belongings as we're getting ready to move. Um, but I would like to get a look at the contract to see exactly what level of control he has. I understand he doesn't have control. I mean, Disney owns Star Wars. But on some level, you have to think that does he have some sort of like – was anything godfathered in or grandfathered in, so to speak? into the contract sort of like you have star wars but you can't go but you can't change anything that i the irony of that since he changed stuff that he did before but the, you know you can't change anything that i did i'm just wondering what the legal status is of the original unaltered versions does fox or does disney actually have the right to release those aside from whether you know the stuff that fox has i just mean from george lucas's point of view of what was written in the contract do they actually have the right to release the pre-fixed, and I say that with quotation marks, Star Wars trilogy? Because like you, I, I'm i sort of hit and miss on it. There was a part of me, I actually went when they released the films, I actually released them in the theater. Um, and back in, I think it was 1997. Um, and I went and saw Star Wars on the big screen because I didn't have that opportunity. I was one year old when Star Wars came out. Though the first movie I did see in the theater was Return of the Jedi. So I wanted to see Star Wars on the big screen. I watched it and I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I think I, – I, I, I'm not a fan of Greedo shooting first because I think it kill, – not kills, but it really hurts the character of Han Solo. You know, him yeah. shooting first says a lot about that character. It differentiates him from Luke. You know, it differentiates him from the naive farm boy. It gives him a little element of danger, which his character needs. So I didn't care for that. I didn't care for the Jabba scene just because it looks terrible. Yeah, that's true. That's the part where Han steps on him and sort of elevates up. It, it's some of the worst visual effects I've ever seen in my life, where he's walking around him and they have him step on Jabba's tail. And they you could see them like rotoscoping uh, Harrison Ford's you know, his figure up like an inch and a half and then down an inch and a half, even though his eye line never changes. <laughs> and and I, I kind of feel like it also uh, takes away from Jabba's character. He was such an imposing and ominous mm -hmm. uh, character who was kind of untouchable. So for Han to treat him that way and, and step on his tail and get away with it, I thought took away from the character a lot. It did. It just completely butchered that. So those two scenes I, I could have done without. I enjoyed the newer visual effects. Mostly. Some of it was just too cartoony. I mean, late 90s, early 2000s CGI was a little rubbery. It can still be a little yeah. rubbery, but it was, you know, some of the stuff was unnecessary. But I, I like seeing it in HD. You know, it, it does look really nice. But like you, I would like to see the original uh, release. One of the things I had never noticed, these changes they made, there's one I never even really noticed until I was looking it up on this article, and they talked about the scene with the sand people, when uh, the sand people are, uh, you know, coming out, or the Jawas, I think it is, and R2-D2 sort of backs up from this, no, it's the sand people, he backs up into sort of the rocks, so that he uh -huh. can't be seen. Apparently, on the uh, special edition, they sort of CGI'd a rock in front of him so that it makes it look more understandable that the rock, that the sand people didn't see him because he's sort of blocked by a rock. I never noticed that, but apparently a lot of fans hate it because they're like, well, how the hell did he get behind the rock? 
There's no right. room for him to move, and it's not like he can crawl over the rock. I, I, I had never noticed that. So it does. He used his jetpack in between scenes <laughs> that it uses in the prequels. <laughs> uh, what, what, don't say that because George will use whatever clause he has in his contract to go back in and put scorch marks on the rocks. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to see the, I'd love to see the original films unaltered because there is something about those are the films of my childhood. And I assume they're the films of your childhood Yes. Just because they don't have the awesome special effects that films today have doesn't make them less valuable. They're still awe-inspiring to us because we remember how they were awe-inspiring to us when we were kids. Absolutely. You know, um, we we really do a, a, a just a sci-fi movie podcast mm-hmm. because uh, just a few weeks ago, I found a copy of the Last Starfighter. Oh gosh, I love that movie, but I haven't seen it in twenty years. I well, I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. I mean, I remembered a lot of it, but not all of it. And I did remember that the special effects were terrible. Oh yeah, of course. But but I thought my kids have got to watch this. This was a movie that I mean, I I played every video game I could get my hands on for the next two weeks after watching this movie. Uh huh. Because I was convinced. That I was going to get a high score, and I was going to go run, <laughs> fly away, and then uh, fight an alien war. And so I had watched this with my kids, and I started watching some of the special effects, and I thought, they're going to hate this. This is going to be terrible. They're going to be like, really? Really? <laughs> and they loved it. They, In fact, they wanted to watch it again the next day. It's a great movie. I mean, I haven't seen it in forever, so it, I just may be looking at it through nostalgia classes. Now I'm going to have to track down a copy of – Last Starfighter and watch that. I'm just sitting there going, I remember it's like a trailer park and they're in the desert and there's a car that flies and oh yeah okay yeah I, I need to see that yeah we, it was great and and it doesn't matter that the special effects were terrible my kids loved it anyway and so I think that's a, that's important I mean Star Wars doesn't have to have the super ramped up special effects to appeal to kids. I mean, my kids sat through the last Starfighter. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Were the, is there really anything in Star Wars, the original film, New Hope, that looks horrible? I mean, most of it, I think, stands up to the te- you know the test of time. I mean, it's it's all motion control model work, so it, maybe it's not as mobile as the, the the stuff Michael Bay does with Transformers and, and such. But I can't remember there being anything that I looked at as a kid and was like, oh, that looks horrible. I mean, I, I just – I think there was one scene. Yeah, there was one scene when um, Vader and Obi-Wan are having their sword fight, and oh. you can sort of see one of the lightsabers. They didn't really uh, animate it as much as they should have, and you can actually see it's like a little pole with some lights on it for like half a second. That whole fight scene is the only thing that I dislike about those movies because it is very, very obvious that that is two old guys hitting each other with canes. <laughs> that, is, that is just such an un-Jedi-like fight scene there that it's just uh, – that's the one thing that gets me every time I watch it. I'm like, this is terrible. I don't think they practiced this at all. <laughs> They're like, Alec Guinness was hungover from the night before and – David Prowse couldn't see shit through his visor. <laughs> They're like, are you there? 
<laughs> no, they're not so much fighting each other as trying to find each other, like two old men with blind guys with canes sweeping them out in front of them. Like, is anybody there? Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're sitting That's there going, he... geez, George, you go in and change everything, but you can't change the damn fight scene? Really? I mean, give us some CGI there, you know? Make Obi-Wan do a backflip or something. I mean, just you got the... anything. They're standing in one place the whole time. You got the freaking prequel film where Yoda's like a frog in a blender. Right, right. Yeah, that little dude was all over the place, but Obi-Wan's going to throw out a hit, man. And then the the only other thing I had a problem with throughout the whole series was the... Uh, the Force uh, Ghosts? The torpedoes that move at right angles. <laughs> I'm not sure... I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure about that one. What are you talking about? <laughs> when he shoots it and destroys the uh, Death Star the first time? Oh, they go down, don't they? Yeah, they're going in a straight line, and then all of a sudden, they just cut straight down. <laughs> That'd be great. Boom. I never made that connection until you just mentioned that. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, the torpedoes are firing straight, and then they make a sharp turn down to go into the, t- to go into the yeah, port. They, they just happen to drop into this hole that goes straight to the center. Of the, yeah, that's the only other thing that really bothers me about those movies is that's kind of a – I mean, he couldn't have come at it straight and shot it straight in there. They had to – Cut straight down. I don't know. That just suddenly it's like the torpedo at the end of Star Trek Six, following the exhaust trail of the of the Klingon bird of prey, just flying right. all over the place. So I don't. I, I think they're fine the way they are. I don't think they need to be amped up. I think they were just making new versions to make money, and it worked. It did because we're lemmings and we'll buy anything. I think that first film, A New Hope, when it came out in the theaters, made a hundred million dollars. And I'm talking the re-release in 1997. I don't, you know, and then they went down on each one. I think the next one made like forty million, and then one made twenty million. But yeah, they made two hundred million dollars at the box office. You know that more than paid for the new special effects. I mean, that paid for probably a nice new ranch house for George. Oh, that kind of money. And, and he needed one. Oh, yeah, poor guy. Yeah. Well, I think that covers pretty much most of our Star, our Star Wars stuff. Like I said, we didn't really have a lot of news, but we just wanted to give a, a little bit of a Star Wars talk. Now, we're going to segue a little bit into another space adventure. Recently, Marvel released Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, I know one of us is a huge Guardians of the Galaxy fan. Actually, Which I, one is it? Yeah, I, 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 I'm getting it. Was that you or me? <laughs> I, believe, I believe that's you. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. It actually runs uh, or co-runs uh, GuardTheGalaxy.com. Uh-huh. Uh, and guess what? I'm the one who's going to review the movie. <laughs> because the other day, my wife looks at me and says, I want to go see Guard the, Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's go. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't, I know we're in the middle of doing a lot of stuff, but I think that's why. I think she needed, she, she was kind of wound up with the new job and the moving and everything. And I think she just wanted uh, an evening where she could just laugh and have a good time and, she she thought the previews were funny, so I I have seen Guardians of the Galaxy. I know that you're you saw you've had a lot of stuff going on, so you haven't had a chance to, to see it yet. When your wife looks at you and says, "I want to watch Guardians of the Galaxy," go marry her again. That's uh... <laughs> she she literally said, "Honey, I want to watch Guardians of the Galaxy, and I want to go eat Mexican food." It's like. <laughs> I have no problem with that. I'll I'll eat some uh, tortilla chips with salsa. 
have a nice big, you know, enchilada, yeah, and then we'll go watch a raccoon in a tree. Yeah. <laughs> so we went and saw the movie. Um, it was the night, it was the Friday that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles opened. Uh, we saw it in 3D because that was the only showing that was available. We actually spent too much time imbibing Mexican food uh, and missed the 2D showing by about 15 minutes. So we went and saw the 3D 3D version. I um, I'm not gonna. There's not gonna be any spoilers here. You haven't seen it. I'm not gonna spoil it. I'm not gonna spoil it for anyone out there who uh, hasn't seen it. Anyone out there who's listening, who hasn't seen it. Basically, I just want to give some of my my general reactions to it. I'm not as familiar with Guardians of the Galaxy as you are. I don't think there's anybody on Earth who's as familiar with Guardians of the Galaxy as you are. <laughs> uh, I had never even heard of this when it was announced. I was like, Guardians of the what? Is it, This is a comic book? <laughs> I learned a little bit, mainly from you. I haven't read any of the comics yet, so I went in close to blind. I mean, I knew basically who the characters were. My introduction, the introduction of them really was that wonderful first trailer that they put out, uh, which was just an excellent trailer uh, for the film and really set the tone. So I had a pre, eh, very casual idea of who these characters were. I really, really, really enjoyed the movie. Yeah. I loved the playfulness of the movie. Music is a huge part of it. And it's music in the actual movie. It's not. A, it's not like a. It's not like a movie from the '80s where suddenly you had music playing in the background, sort of. This is actually movie that music that's in the movie. I mean, there's a very important plot element having to do with um, Star Lord's character enjoying music from his time. You know, he's he's a kid who grew up in the late '80s, early '90s, and that's the music or late '80s. So that's the music that he listened to. And in fact, it gets a little deeper than that. Uh, it's a connection to his past. And so the music that we hear is almost every time music that the characters themselves are hearing. And it's a nice little love letter almost to what music means to people. And I learned something about my wife. I learned that when she hears music in a movie, she dances in her seat. Really? <laughs> She does. I was sitting there going, is this an earthquake? Not, I don't mean that in like a bad sense, but I was, there was movement. I'm sitting there going, is, is there an earthquake? Or is it one of those, you know, ultra sound movies going, playing in the theater next door? But I looked over and she's like rocking, you know, she's bouncing back and forth. You know, it's not, she wasn't tapping her, she wasn't tapping her toes. She was rocking her whole body with the music. So that was very interesting. And there's a lot of music. So there was a lot of moving going on. I really enjoyed the film. I thought the plot was very good in the sense that it, it it went very nicely between being very lighthearted. I mean, there is a talking tree in this, or a walking right. tree and a talking raccoon. So there is a tremendous amount of comedy in this film. This There's more comedy in this film than in any of the other Marvel movies. But there's a lot of drama in this film as well. There's a lot of character-oriented drama. You really feel for these characters. Um, you get to know them very well. And I, I have to say it because you put it up there as a meme on our on our blog or on our Facebook page. But that freaking raccoon did more to save innocent people's lives than Superman did in the entire film of Man of Steel. <laughs> 
it's almost as there's actual lines of dialogue in the film referring to try to referring to getting innocent people out of the way of danger. And I couldn't help but think it's the Man of Steel effect on some level. But that could just be me being obsessed with that element of Man of Steel. But it sort of showed that there's there's there is real drama in this film, but there's a lot of comedy. But the main thing that impressed me about this movie is the sheer amount of Marvel cosmic that was introduced in this film. They introduced the Nova Corps. They introduced yeah. the um, the uh, the two main races, the Kree. The Kree are introduced in this film. The um, is it the uh, uh, the Zandalarians? Yeah, I think that might be it. But they, it wasn't just name dropping. They were actually introducing peoples and societies and languages, things that I've seen referenced in various comic books that I've read. I hate to say it, but – well, no, I don't hate to say it. I'm actually quite pleased to say it. James Gunn, in a few lines of dialogue and maybe 15 minutes of screen time, did a better job introducing Marvel's cosmic universe than all two and a half hours of Green Lantern did it introducing DC's cosmic universe. Wow. I was blown away by how well it was introduced. It wasn't over the head of novices like me. This film literally opened up an entire universe that Marvel can go into. I, I was really surprised. I actually turned to my wife afterwards when she was asking me what I thought about the movie. And I told her I like this. I like that. But I said, I'm kind of shocked at how smoothly they introduced an entire universe of, of Marvel concepts and people and characters. And they did it without it feeling like they were forcing a lot of stuff. You didn't feel like it was a lecture. You didn't feel like stuff was being force fed to you. It was just simple little things, little bits of conversation, quick little shots of a people here, lines of dialogue here. And it opened up so much that Marvel can go out and do that and hit the ground running. James Gunn did an amazing job, not just telling, a not just making a great fun film, but also just opening up an entire world for Marvel to now explore. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Sure, and I, I won't spoil, but I'll answer to the best of my ability. Okay. Uh, it was a comic book movie, right? But how did it stand up as just a, a sci-fi movie? Oh, it was a good sci-fi film. I, it was the the film moved a lot. Uh, it just, it was constantly jumping from one place to another to another, so it had a great momentum going to going for it. It was very sci-fi. It reminded uh, the the reviewer that I had read beforehand was right. It's very Firefly in its feel. Uh, it's got a bit of a western feel to it. It's like a space western would be a really good. Uh, description like a sci-fi western. It has a little bit of that Star Wars feel to it. The you know the the first film, A New Hope. It's got some Firefly feel to it. It's a, it's a good sci-fi film. Some of the science is a little iffy. There's one point where I, again I'm not gonna spoil it, but you'll know it when you see it where some characters are being exposed to outer space without uh -huh. protective gear, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, I think they're dead. I think they should be dead at this point, but some comic book science sort of gets in the way, you know, sort of gets in through it. Um, there's some really great meta sci-fi concepts that's like Grant Morrison stuff. 
where um, again, I don't want, I almost don't want to say it because it's just, I want your head to explode when you see it and go, Oh, yeah. that's such a great idea. That's yeah. such a, that's such a science fiction idea that they just threw in the background there. It's a, it's a comic book movie in the sense that it's got a lot of action adventure and it's got a talking raccoon in it. But yeah, it's a, it's a good sci-fi film. I mean, if you like, Fi- if you like Firefly, you're going to love this movie. If you like the original star Wars movie, uh, you're going to love this film. Um, not so much Star Trek. It doesn't really have a Star Trek feel to it. It's more space opera, more sci, more fun sci-fi would be a good description of it. Uh, another question I had was uh, throughout the trailers, they really, really played up the humor mm-hmm. of the movie. Uh, did were they able to what Marvel seems to be really good at balance the drama and the funny, or was it just a comedy? Oh no, they. It's very comedic, but there's a tremendous amount of drama. All of these characters are broken. They all have something wrong with them. And the sort of the narr- the dramatic through line for this entire film is sort of like them finding them finding a family. They're all desperately in need of a family, even though they would never admit it because they're all very, you know, you saw their their personalities in the the trailer, you know, they're they're very macho, very standoffish. But they're all broken and they all need a family and they're finding each other is what they are. So there's a tremendous amount of comedy. Pretty much anything Rocket Raccoon says is hilarious. He stole the film. I'm going to say right now. Some people think – I know I know my wife thinks Groot stole the film. I think Rocket stole the film. He's hilarious. He's brilliant. But there's – every each of the characters, all of the characters have very dramatic moments there's a lot of character growth. I mean, that's the thing that's impressed me about a lot of these Marvel films is aside from all the whiz bang special effects and the, you know, the exciting action adventure, there's actually some really dramatic character development going on in all of these films, not all of them, but most of these films. And this film probably more than some of the others. I think the character of star Lord kind of his journey really is very emotional. I think a lot of people, there are some, there are some tears uh, toward the end of the film from some of the people in the audience. And I'll admit, I gl- my eyes glassed up a little bit toward the end with with his his character in particular. That's great. I, I think uh, I've been saying this all all the time, but my holy trinity of sci-fi has got to be Han Solo, Peter Quill, and Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly. He did really good. I have not really seen Chris Pratt in anything else before this. He's great. And like I said, his character really is basically a combination of Han Solo and um, the the character that um, Nathan Fillion played in Firefly. And he's got a lot of humor to him and a lot of sarcasm to it. But his character goes through a lot of drama. I mean, they deal with his background. I mean, and you know a lot of that. I mean, dealing with like his mother. Right. Um, they don't. This is where you probably have the advantage on me. They do not get into his father. They I've read a little bit about that, and, and it's it's something that's a little worrisome because that's a big part of that character. Uh, the only thing they mention is his mother tells him that his father uh, – oh, it was a line of dialogue essentially of that he's came from the sky or something like that. Um, but it's done in such a way that you don't really know if she's – in that, that she knows what she's saying, that she's she's kind of medicated at that point, so to speak. And 
the audience is sort of wondering if, well, whoa, is the medication just getting to her at that point? And that's really the only line of dialogue that deals directly with his father. There's a couple lines of dialogue that some other characters say toward the end that allude to things that I think someone like you who knows the comic books will get. But his, his the character of his father is just a mystery, and really they don't delve into it. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm very interested on how they'll handle that and which, what direction they'll take that in. And because I think that if they go the comic book route with the character, I think that opens up just a huge world of things you can do with not only the Guardians but Peter himself and could open up a bunch of solo stuff and um, uh, would, would just, I mean, make. I mean, the, the sequel to this would have been already written if they used his father from the comics. So the one thing I've had heard because I I'm trying to keep relatively spoiler free in that regard is they asked James Gunn that question about his father. Yeah. And the only responses he said is Disney and Marvel have told him that they want him to have the freedom to do what he wants to do and not to feel that he has to follow the comic books in the the father element. He didn't say he's going to change it. He just said that Marvel has told him that he can go whichever way he wants to go with that. He doesn't have to tie into the, to the comic book continuity that that's one area where, because normally they try and keep things relatively tight with the comics and not change things too much. But he said that Marvel told him, this is what it is in the comic books. You can do it or you can do something else. Just do whatever lends itself to the best story. Well, you know who his father is in the comics, right? They mentioned it in the article, but I wasn't familiar with the character. He is the king emperor of an entire race. Hmm. He's a human-looking alien, basically, who runs this entire little corner of the galaxy all his own. And in the comic books, um, he was younger, and he was he was supposed to be helping fight this war and helping his dad, but he kind of went to sow his wild oats mm-hmm. and uh, skipped town and ended up crash-landing on Earth and meeting Peter's mom, and they hooked up. And then right as he got his spaceship fixed, he gets word that things got rough at home and he has to bail. Oh, okay. Leaving a pregnant Meredith. Mm. Who they obviously don't know at the time that she's pregnant, but there it goes. And so uh, in the comics, uh, especially with the recent Brian Michael Bendis reboot, uh, the bad guy, the Badoon, mm-hmm. find out about Peter and uh, – go to Earth to kill him and his mom. And they end up killing his mom and thinking they killed him. And that leads Peter to try and find his dad and get in space and all that good stuff. So his dad is this uh, uh, leader of this alien race in space who skipped out on his mom while she was pregnant Hmm. and now wants Peter to uh, be prince and take up this mantle. And Peter's like... Screw you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you abandoned us and you never came back to check on mom. And obviously somebody knew I existed because they tried to kill me and you never came back. And so he kind of blames his dad for what happened to his mom and um, is now trying to do everything he can to thwart all of his dad's 
plan. So the, the, I think the sequel will kind of write itself there. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. Is there anything else I wanted to say? I wanted to say that I did really enjoy the movie. It's made me excited for, if anything, I'd like to see a Nova Corps spinoff. Um, I think they really did a good job introducing the Nova Corps. I just want to see them do more of the Marvel Cosmic, to be honest with you. And I'm not a huge fan of Cosmic. I'm not a huge fan of DC Cosmic either. So for me to say that shows how well the film was done, how well done the film was. Um, I do want to caution some people. A lot of people who love this film are saying it's the best Marvel film there is. I didn't think it was the best Marvel film. We're going to eventually do our rating podcast where we rate the Marvel films. There were certain moments of this film that sort of – how can I put this? They didn't quite shift from the comedy to the drama as, and from the drama to the comedy as smoothly as they did at other points in the film. There's a few points where I think maybe they could have taken a good five to ten minutes out of the movie. That would have been better just for pacing reasons. And some of that stuff, I think, was them laying the groundwork for, say, Avengers 2 or maybe even Avengers 3 that I felt really didn't need to be in here. But generally, the the comedy and then the character development and the drama within the character development more than made up for the couple minutes of, yeah, that was kind of a rough little patch of, you know, last four or five minutes that I think really didn't need to be in there or weren't quite as smooth as they should have been. I out of I don't like to do four stars. I like I like to do a five star rating. I think it gives you a little bit more room. I'd give it a solid four stars out of five. I still think Captain America two was was a little bit better. I'm not surprised at all to hear that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I love Cap, <laughs> but uh, and I do think Captain America two is fairly close to a perfect comic book film. Uh, I th- Captain America two I think is up there with Avengers as my favorite of the Marvel films. So we'll, we'll discuss that in a later podcast. I think, I think by the time everything is said and done, I think guardians will have made about as much as Captain America too. So, and let me say this. I think that when all is said and done, guardians of the galaxy may be the most important film that Marvel has made with the exception of the Avengers. Really? I think it opens up the cosmic universe. I can, I don't know if I can say this because I'm not sure if this is a spoiler or if you have heard this, but a certain character is introduced in this film, well, reintroduced in this film, that is of just a major player in the Marvel Universe. You had to have heard of this. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, Thanos? Thanos. Yeah, Thanos yeah. has some major Josh screen Brolin. time in this movie. Major, really? Yeah, I'd say he's in it a good 10 to 15 minutes, to be honest with you. Wow. Um, right. He's not the big baddie in the film. But he's in league with the bad guy in the movie. And his presence is all over this movie. So I think that, again, the biggest accomplishment, aside from just being a fun roller coaster of a movie, is that James Gunn completely blew open the Marvel Universe and just – they can go so they can go so many directions with this. They can do more Guardians of the Galaxy films. They can do a Nova Corps movie. Uh, they can, you know, they heck. I mean, they didn't. They did everything but introduce the scroll the the, the scrolls. Right. They didn't introduce them, but I kept waiting for a scroll to pop up. To be honest with you, 
with just how much of Marvel Cosmic they were name dropping and referencing. So while I had some, the there were some pacing issues. That's probably the best way I can put it. There's some pacing issues in the movie. I think that by and large, the Avengers is probably the most important movie they've made in the sense that it proved you can do that huge superhero movie with all of these characters and make it work. I don't think Joss Whedon, for all the credit that Joss Whedon is given, I don't think he's given enough credit for the balancing act he did on the, on the Avengers. Yeah. But other than the Avengers, this movie is the biggest, you know, just kicking open a door that Marvel has done. And, um, I mean, I don't even care for Green Lantern that much. And this made me want a Nova Corps movie. That's great. So it's a great film. I, I hope you get to see it soon. It's uh, And if you can see it on the big screen, do. Uh, it does have some good special effects and, and things along those lines. Um, but no, just definitely try and see it. It's a, it's a really, really fun movie. But it still does have some good dramatic moments. It's, a, it's just a great, entertaining Hollywood movie. And you will come away thinking Rocket Raccoon is the coolest thing ever. Well, everybody should come away thinking that. Yeah. Now, you have some news as well. I do. Just something I want to talk about very briefly because I'm just so excited about it. Um, the second feature-length Firefly fan film to finish, Browncoat's Independence War, is in their post-production, and it's almost done with their film, and I got the wonderful opportunity to see uh, still being edited version of the movie and do a Q&A with the creator of Brown Coat's Independence War, and I should be coming out with that fairly soon. Now, this interview is going to be a text interview, correct? Yeah. Okay. I compiled a bunch of uh, questions from uh, my own personal Facebook or Twitter. I ran it down my local uh, Brown Coat's group and asked them, and so I've got to and, – and then I got to watch the movie, so we got all kinds of questions. And uh, I'll be doing a Q&A with them and posting as a blog post. I will be announcing that when it's when we do it on the podcast, but it'll be a text in and of itself. So keep an eye on geekinpodcast.blogspot.com for the Brown Codes Independence War Q&A. All right. I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to seeing it. I'm a, you know, fan films are one of the great innovations of the Internet. I mean, there's so many things that the Internet has brought us, good and evil and everything in between. Um, but being a Star Trek fan, to see the, the Star Trek fans start making their own films, and some of them you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. Uh, but some of them are actually really high quality. I mean, the acting's, you know, it's amateurs. I mean, they're just, they're just fans, you know, doing their best to act, just like I'm doing my best to actually podcast. <laughs> you know, they're better at that than I am at podcasting, I'll tell you that. But just to see the enthusiasm and the excitement from fans being able to actually make uh, films. I mean, just the technology with digital cameras now and uh, computer effects where you can actually put set, build sets on the computers. It's just it's a great innovation, and I, I'm glad that it's spreading beyond just sort of Star Trek fans, that other genre fans are able to go out and get fan films going, and especially something like Firefly, which just got butchered by Fox, uh, for the fans to be able to go out there and tell more stories in the universe that they love. I'm a huge fan of fan films in general. I, I, some of them are just outstanding, and 
some of them do a better job with some of these characters than you get to see on on the official screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I've seen a lot of Firefly fan stuff, um, and some of it goes back and forth. You get really good costumes and set, but the writing isn't quite where you want it to be, or, or you get the uh, great writing and dialogue, and you feel like these people really understand the world they're living in, but they have like no money, <laughs> so they're pretty much doing it in their living room with a video camera. Uh, but Browncoat's Independence War, the writing was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some really great actors, and and there's obviously some money behind this because they had some special effects, and there was uh, like actual guns and oh yeah, but it was a lot of fun. And, and my wife and I watched it together. We both walked away from it just. It was just a really great experience. It was a lot of fun, and I cannot wait for this Q&A. So. Now, I, I do have a quick question. Um, fan films tend to go two different ways, plot-wise. So in this fan film, uh, what's the title again? Browncoat's Independence War. Browncoat's Independence War. Are these original characters, or are they playing the characters that we've seen on Firefly? That's one of the things I love about this, because I've seen the ones where they play the characters on Firefly, mm-hmm. and... It, it can be hit and miss, but these are actually original characters. Good. It's set. It's set. Um, I, I, I don't know how much Firefly you've actually gotten to see, but few episodes. Not that there were many more than that, but a few episodes. <laughs> it's actually one another. You're gonna love this. You already told me I need to marry my wife again. You're, you're gonna have me marry her again. She told me the other day that we need to sit down and watch Firefly. Absolutely, I love this chick. Anyway, um, before, uh the present day in Firefly, uh, the main character, Malcolm Reynolds, was in the middle of a war. Mm-hmm. And the this movie is actually set on the last day when when their side surrendered at the same location, just kind of on the other side of the valley. And it's about these other people in the same war, the same world, fighting for the same side, and what happens to them. And there's some wonderful Firefly references that it would just totally go over your head unless you've, you know, uh, devoured the episodes. Yeah, yeah, I was looking for the right word. Devoured is good. Um, wonderful little nods, and there's one specific uh, character mention that I thought was just handled beautifully. Uh, and, instead of like forcing that mention too much, or or oh oh they dropped that name, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they they handled it really well. So. Oh, nice. Well, that's uh, that's gonna be great. I, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to reading it, and um, that would be something I'd like to see us try and uh, try and do a little bit more often on the the podcast. Sort of bring a little bit of attention to some of our favorite fan productions, whether it's fan films, fan fiction, or things like that. I mean, we're geeks. That's why we do this podcast. We're certainly not professionals. I mean, we've had certain podcasts we look back on. And said, "My gosh, we really weren't professionals on that one." But our heart is there. I mean, we're just geeks who want to celebrate things that we enjoy. And these people who are producing fan films or writing fan fiction, they're doing that. They're just taking it to an even higher level. They're like, we don't want to just talk about what we enjoy. We want to actually produce part of what we enjoy, help create more of what we enjoy. And uh, I mean, that's the highest form of geekdom there is. I think. Absolutely. 
Alright, so I think that's it for this week. The Kick-Ass Music at the beginning end of the podcast is Big Damn Heroes, and you can find out more about them at facebook.com slash bigdamnheroesband. And you can always hit us up at facebook.com slash geekinpodcast, and feel free to follow us at twitter.com slash geekinpodcast. And of course, the address for the blog is geekinpodcast.blogspot.com. We'll be seeing you soon.